It was uh, 25 years ago that Artie and I struggled with the call to go to Zuni. We were in the basement of a friend's house, just praying for God's guidance. Our friends were upstairs praying for uh, some direction, and the three of them were going to come and down and tell us whether or not we should go to Zuni. And I will never forget that I opened up the pages of Scripture and I saw Paul as he had gone to Corinth, and he was so frustrated. He was at one of his lowest points ever in his ministry. And he, he cried out, your blood be on your own head, your own heads. And then that night, the Lord came to Paul and says, Paul, I have many people in this city. And it was that night that both Artie and I recognized uh, the call to go to, to Zuni, New Mexico. The blueprint for our lives comes from Daniel and Jeremiah chapter 29. Daniel was a young man, man carried off to Babylon, new language, new culture, surrounded by gods that were foreign. And a word comes from a true prophet in Israel named Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 29. And while the false prophets are, are saying, you're going to be out of here in two years, God's going to crush Nebuchadnezzar, Jeremiah says, no, you're going to be here for a lifetime, 70 years. And I want you to pray for the prosperity, the shalom of the city. And if the city prospers, so will you. I want you to settle down, marry, have children, plant gardens. And I want you to pray for Babylon. And little did Daniel know that Nebuchadnezzar himself would bow the knee to the living God. Amen? And so this morning I want to read some verses from chap- or Acts chapter 16. And I do this because I think it captures probably more than, than any passage that I could find uh, the incredible nature of the body of Jesus Christ and how diverse, because when the Holy Spirit falls on the church and they have their wor- first worship service, they have their first sermon. It's not in any one language. A very deliberate way for God to say, no one racial group, no one culture, no one language is more foundational to Christianity. The gospel belongs to all people. We're going to read about Lydia. We're going to read about a slave girl. And we're going to read about a Roman jailer. Three very different people. When we moved to Zuni, one of the very first tasks that I had was to go to the tribal offices and seek a renewal on our lease. Our lease, the 100-year lease, had come to an end. And so I went into the office, and there was a petite little woman in a business suit a graduate of New Mexico State University business program, a Zuni, she opened up the file, and there at the top of the letterhead said, the board of heathen missions. And I just cringed. I prayed, God, please blind her eyes right now. I mean, can you imagine a missionary praying that someone's eyes would be blinded instead of opened? 
that woman is now a member of our church. And it's an amazing thing. You just don't know how God is going, going to work, the prayers that, that he will answer. On the, the video, you also saw a young man named Carmichael. Uh, we built him a small hut because he was living along uh, the, the Zuni River in a shack. And Carmichael was considered a Zuni witch by many a man possessed by dark powers, a man who was in desperate need. Now Carmichael, you had seen a portion of his baptism. He's a member of our congregation. Young man, just uh, so thrilled to be a part of the family of God. And there was also a baptism of a young woman named Corrine. And Corrine was at the lowest point of her life, walking with her three boys across our parking lot, on her way to Helona Plaza to get some groceries with what little money she had left, heard singing coming out of the gym, and in the summer we opened the doors. She heard the singing, and she went through the doors into the church for the very first time in her entire life. And she's been in the church now for four years straight. She is now a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, Zuni, and she's singing uh, the praises of God. Some years, Rich Mullins, some years ago, Rich Mullins, who lived by us and was a part of our ministry, said to us, before he died, tragically, in Springfield, Illinois, and that was Rich singing, of course, on the, uh, the video or the PowerPoint, he said, if Zuni, the Zuni people, come to Jesus Christ, he says, the other pueblos in New Mexico will follow. Zuni's the largest pueblo in New Mexico. And that was the prophecy of of Rich Mullins. I don't know if I'll see it in my lifetime, but I I want you to pray for the Shirleys. I want you to pray for the Carmichaels and the Kareens and the young people of Zuni, New Mexico. I, I share this with you because it says in Acts chapter 16, from Troas we put out to sea, and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district in Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. Now, on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. This means that... Uh, They didn't have a synagogue in Philippi. It was a Roman town. It required ten Jewish men uh, in any town to have a synagogue. So the people, the Jews that were there, the God-fearers that were there, would go to a river and pray to the God of Israel. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple, a purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The gospel is going out. It comes to this uh, Roman colony called Philippi. And the first convert in Philippi is a woman, a wealthy woman. God had been working in her heart for a long, long time. She had heard about the God of Israel. She was praying to this God, and yet the God that she knew was a God who was useful. 
like a vending machine. She would put the quarter in by her good works, and out would come a God who would say, because you've been good, I'm going to give you this and this and this. In fact, I'll make your sale of purple cloth profitable for you. A God who is useful. Lydia was a a good woman, a righteous woman who was seeking God. And this is the incredible nature of the gospel. It comes to all people. If in Zuni we were to look at Lydia or someone like her, she would be living in the Sandia Heights of Albuquerque. Someone who had lots of money was the CEO of her own company, and yet the material things of the world were not satisfact, uh, uh, providing a satisfaction. She had a yearning for something more. Verse 15, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. And she said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Now notice that this woman needed to be taught. She, she needed an experience, a logical experience. She needed to look at the scriptures And then she needed to be able to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. That's how Paul approaches this. Here is a woman who's probably very tired of stale legalistic religion, and Paul opens up her eyes to the scriptures just the way Philip had opened up the scriptures to the Ethiopian eunuch, who was not allowed into the holy place. He, too, was seeking the, uh, the, uh, the, the righteousness of God, the God of heaven. And the Apostle Paul sits down with this woman and says, you, ha- you can stop putting your quarters in the vending machine because salvation is free. She, for the first time, sees the beauty of God. It's an aesthetic experience. As C.S. Lewis says, when you see a mountain landscape or look over a beautiful valley, valley, you're looking for someone to share it with, someone to enjoy it with. This woman now is enjoying the experience of God's grace with the Apostle Paul and with her entire family. And she opens up her home. And one of the reasons we know that she's wealthy is she has a home. She has a home. And this is going to be the center of this Philippian church. Verse 16, once again, once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which he predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. Here's the second member of the church in Philippi. The exact opposite of Lydia. Here is a woman who's not seeking God. She's possessed by a demonic spirit. Here is a woman who might be characterized as a teenage addicted prostitute living in one of the livestock sheds alongside of the Zuni River. Just this morning, I got a call on my cell phone while I was in the motel room from a young man that I'm discipling. 
His girlfriend, and Artie has spent the last three uh, days with this young gal, has been text messaging him saying that you got to stop meeting with those Christians. Lucifer is angry, and he's going to take our lives if we keep meeting with the Christians. This young lady has been coming to church, been coming to counseling, spending time with staff members and, uh, and with my wife, Artie. But we found in, uh, this, this morning, and I talked to Artie about this, was that this woman was brought up in a traditional family, and she was uh, given to the medicine men in order to be specially chosen for a task in the Navajo religion. She's not a Zuni. And, the, and her boyfriend told me that there were pouches that were given to her by medicine men that she refused to give up. And we have stories of medicine men who have given up their pouches, who have given up all of the uh, paraphernalia that they use to gain power over the gods or to appease the gods and gain the power so that they can use them to bring curses or to bring blessing. This young woman is in turmoil, spiritual turmoil. And every time she comes under the light, she feels like running. And her boyfriend, who is a Christian, he's now a Christian, said, she has no place to run anymore. We believe with all of our hearts that this young lady was brought into our community, into our lives, because God has begun a work in her. But notice, it's not just a logical explanation of the gospel. It's not that she just needs to see the beauty of Jesus Christ. She needs to see the power of Jesus Christ. She needs to be set free from the powers of bondage that have held her and her family for centuries. If Lydia had just joined a yuppie church in the Sandia Heights of Albuquerque, this young lady might have sought out a congregation for ex-hippies. But notice, the Lord brought them to the same congregation. And the beauty of this picture, I know it's, it, it, you know, it is not described here, but, but do you think that God in his good, good providence has brought this slave girl under the arms of a loving woman named Lydia? And that ten years later, the apostle Paul would write back from a prison cell in Rome, in Rome and talk about the incredible joy that he has and the incredible satisfaction he has about the church in Philippi, which just exemplifies the gospel going out to all people. Many years ago, and I may have shared this story before, and I have to be careful because I can tell maybe too many stories. I'll share some more with you later on. But many years ago, the Lord decided that he was going to teach my wife and I some things about spiritual warfare. I did not want to learn. One day, I get a call that a 13-year-old girl in the mid-school was brought into her principal's office and she was speaking in a man's voice. And so they called me in. The medicine men were frightened. 
They were, the voice in this girl said, your power does not match mine, and they left. They packed up their stuff, and they left. We walked into that room, and there was a 13-year-old girl bound by powers that I had yet not experienced. One of the first times in my entire life, the Lord laid on my heart to look at a young woman and to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, I tell you, leave this woman. In the name of Jesus, I rebuke you, Satan, and all of your dark forces, and leave this young woman. I'm going to fast forward on this, but by the end of that time with her, about an hour and a half later, she was hugging me because Satan wanted her soul and she could only find peace in the presence of a servant of Jesus Christ. And in the other room were 16 traditional Zunis and one of them was crying out, praise be to Jesus Christ, praise be to Jesus And the point of this little story here of the slave girl in Philippi was not just that she needed to know the power of God, not just that Jesus was flexing his muscles, but she needed to know the love of a God who would defeat the enemy on her behalf. This lady was predicting the future. Um, she was a, had a python spirit. People didn't have to go to the Delphi Oracle anymore. They could just go to Philippi. If they wanted to know their future, they would, this, this lady, by the power of, uh, the spirit, of the spirits of darkness, would talk about the future, and the, the devil doesn't know the future. Only God does. I, I want to share this very briefly with you because another young woman that my wife and I have been working with uh, has also come under the power of, uh, of people who want to make profit. And we not only try to present the gospel to someone, but we also have to deal with some of the social structures. She fell off a 50-foot cliff, landed on her head, her life was spared, ended up in the hospital, and Julie made me the guardian of her money. Each month, she would get a, a check, for a disability check, And I found out that she owed money to 10 uh, loan stores in Gallup. She kept doing what they call rollovers. And if the lender charges $20 per $100 or 521% annual interest rate, a borrower like Julie, who had 10 rollovers, means on a $500 loan, will pay a total of $1,100 in interest to use the $500 for four months and still owes the $500 principal. This is going on every single day in Gallup, New Mexico. Poor people are going into loan stores and being charged 500 to 1,000% interest, and it is keeping them in debt for years and years and years. Christians in Gallup have decided that they have to take on the people who are into taking the poor and the deprived and making them the source of their millions of dollars. Now, I gotta, I've got to move on. Um, and I, again, I will share some more stories with you uh, afterwards. But the, the thing that I, I want to come to here is, and I want to share some words of application with you, is that the third encounter is a jailer. 
he is a Roman soldier, and if the Lydia, a seller of purple, was a wealthy woman living in the Sandia Heights, and, and the, uh, the young slave girl was a, an addicted prostitute living in a livestock shack, the, the jailer is a man who is pretty self-satisfied. He has a civil service, service job, good retirement, He's a blue-collar, regular guy. And what, what matters in his life is not emotion or aesthetics or, or logic. Uh, he's just a man of honor. He works for the BIA, and he lives in Gallup. And look what it says. Okay, Paul and Silas are in trouble. The magistrates uh, hear the, the cry of the guys who are losing profits because of the slave girl. Uh, verse 20 says, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. Now note, here is a man who can look at two other men, two other human beings, who are flogged within an inch of death. They are bleeding, they are hurting, they are suffering, and that jailer can go home at night, put his head on his pillow and sleep, and the only thing that's going to awaken him would be an earthquake. Here is a man who had been hardened. He's not seeking God. Nothing in him is is wanting the grace of God. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But, but Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. This is not a man who is going to be Uh, changed because of a logical explanation of the gospel. He needed to see the sacrificial life of Jesus Christ lived out. Here were men who repaid evil with good. The reason they would not get their freedom, Paul and Silas would not get their freedom at the expense of the jailer's life was because they had already gotten their freedom at the expense of Jesus' life. Here was a man who saw two guys who called all of the prisoners together and say, don't run because that jailer is going to die. The Romans will put him to death if any of us is found missing. He was about ready to throw himself on his sword. And he saw an expression of sacrificial love that astounded him. And he called those prisoners in. And he washed their backs. Something he should have done before. Look at the sequence. And they baptize him 
and his entire family. Charles Spurgeon said, It's easy to sing in the daytime. Most birds do it, and many men do too. It's easy to sing when health is ours and life is going smoothly. Songs and nighttime do not seem to go together. But of all the songs of the songbirds, none equals the beauty that comes from the darkness, the songs of the nightingale singing out its heart in the blackness of the night. The darkness is shattered by the sound of singing at midnight. In the very depths of the darkness of night, their voices joined in singing praise to God. prisoners heard and the jailer's eyes were opened to a redeemer who would set their hearts free make no mistake the world of Philippi was brutal very much like our society today lots and lots of violence But in the darkness of the night, there were two men suffering and bleeding for the sake of Jesus Christ, and they sang. And what a witness it was to those around him. People need to know when our suffering, and there's been a share, you've had your share of suffering in this congregation. You need to be reminded of some very, very important things. And this is how I want to close, very practically. Because this really describes the church of Jesus Christ. The church of which Lydia and the slave girl and the jailer are a part. And so many people like them. And by the way, the jailer did not go into the military chaplaincy. He didn't go to the military chaplain. He joined the church of Lydia and the slave girl. And it just epitomizes what God desires to bring people of different races and backgrounds together to be one in the the name of Christ. But let me just close with just a few things regarding singing at midnight. Number one, remember that Jesus Christ went first. As Paul and Silas were sitting in that jail cell, they knew something. They knew that their Lord, only 20 years before, was mocked, publicly spit in the face, beaten and tortured to death. They knew that Jesus went first. And number two, remember that God is at work. God is very willing to use things he hates to accomplish things he loves. 
Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And one of the biggest struggles that I have when I am discipling young believers in Zuni is this. They will start watching television, and they will hear televangelists tell them that now that you are a Christian, you're going to make money, you're going to be healthy because God hates all disease. He's not going to allow this to happen unless there's something wrong with your faith. And they listen to this stuff, and they come to me, and they ask, why am I suffering so? And so what I find is you have a spectrum. You have people over here for whom life is very dark and very difficult. And because life is difficult and dark, and they are going through trying times, they project that onto God, and they believe that God is not good. And then you have a group of people over here that are eternal optimists, and they, life is going fine, I'm able to work and pay my bills, and I have a great circle of friends, and as long as those things are operative in my life, God is good. But here we have Paul and Silas, along with so many others in the Scriptures, who are saying, no, life isn't always good, and it throws curveballs and difficulties. But God is using that suffering to refine me like pure gold. And if I am in the hands of a God who loves me, everything is going to turn out to his good. And so in the middle, you have Christians who say, God is good. And I heard it already this morning from one of you. God is good all the time, but life isn't good all the time. And number three, remember that God loves you. You might say, you don't know what's happening to me. That does not separate you from the love of God. Romans 8 again says, What can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Paul and Silas are sitting in that jail cell, and they're offering praise from the pit. We are not separated from God's love. We are not separated ever from God's love. And know that in the middle of your pain, God loves you very much. And finally, remember that offering praise from the pit is probably the best option you're going to be able to come up with. Because you're going to choose something. You can wallow in depression, a, a depression, depressive swamp. You can feed your complaining spirit. You can sit on the pity pot and turn into this ugly shade of bitter. Your heart is going to go somewhere, and some of those places are very dark. Why offer praise when you feel beaten up? Because it's the best option. And if you let bitterness creep in the healing press, the healing process takes longer. The reason I share these things is because in this town in which you live, just like in Zuni, there are people who are watching the Christians. And one of the things they're watching, because life is difficult, is how the Christian handles suffering. And I believe with all my heart, and I know that you do too, many of you do too, You've got the perspective of looking back and you realize that what God has done in you and for you has been for the blessing of those around you. Begin in your family. Parents, moms and dads, let your children know 
that this is a safe place to suffer. And uh, I think that when I counsel this young couple, when I go back to Zuni, and they're talking about marriage, and I look at all the struggles, I've got to tell them, you know, you need to wait, but let's wait on God in all of this. Let's trust God in all of this. But let's make sure that with God in the picture, with God guiding your lives, that it's a place that's safe, where you can share your heart's desires, your heart's needs, your hurts and your pains, and that nobody's going to blow up because we've all been identified in the Lord Jesus Christ himself.